0: This is the Lombardi Line with Michael
3: Lombardi and Patrick Maher on
4: v hey And welcome to the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. Dave Ross here at South Point Casino. Michael Lombardi joins us once again on this Wednesday. And, Michael, we've got a great show for you today. Of course, on Wednesdays, that means we have Steve Mackinnon and his fantastic numbers that you can read at Point Spread Weekly. Great information as we get ready for Super Sunday. Harry Gagnon is going to join us next hour, and I believe he's coming to us from a very exotic location, Michael. We'll get into the reasons why there. <laughs> and then Lou Finnecaro yeah. is going to join us in the second hour as well. Not only talk Blues football numbers, but uh, we're also going to have UFC 271, and we'll get lose thoughts on that as we have another title bout. In the middleweight division, uh, should be a really good one in rematch between Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya. But, Michael, of course, we have to start off. I can't believe it. It's Wednesday, getting closer and closer to Sunday. First of all, just as an executive and somebody who's been there, done that, what's it like for the players and the teams now? We're not seeing a whole lot of line movement here still. Everything's staying right about the same, 4.5, half But for the players, are they just itching, Michael, to get out there, whether to be to practice, get all the media done with, and really start focusing on the game?
3: Well, I, I think now, you know, the ticket situation's been handled. you got all your family members. they got hotel rooms. All the logistics of, of the game that the players kind of have on their plate that they need to deal with is over with. So now Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you can start to refine the game plan that was installed last week. That really, if you Zach Taylor and Sean McVay – you know, especially Sean McVeigh haven't been through it before, can really kind of nail down and focus in on, okay, here's what we're going to get. Here's what we want to run. Here's what we're going to do. And and take over and kind of get into a routine. And I think the players finally now, as Wednesday enters, are, are locked in. And now this is going to be the four days of true focus of like it was a normal week if we were back at home and everybody's got their tickets and life goes on.
4: I, you know, it's interesting because I saw yesterday, and, and you know, last week when we had Steve Mackinac on, and we'll have him on again at the bottom half of this hour, he kind of showed us that the numbers, at least mathematically for these two teams statistically, are very, very similar, right, over the, the course of the year. We're seeing a little money mm-hmm. come in now on the Bengals to get this down to four, but still that total staying at 48 and a half. And then we hear the news yesterday, right, that that the Higby, according to Sean McVay, won't be able to practice more than likely all week. But he is optimistic for Terrell Henderson. Henderson to come back, and he hasn't been active for a while now. And maybe they get him back with Cam Akers, you know, and Sony Michelle. So maybe a three headed monster at running back. What do you make of what you hear uh, from Sean McVay there? And could Henderson all of a sudden be a surprise and somebody really didn't factor into this game? And maybe he does play a bigger role in it than people think.
3: Well, I think the running game, David, is going to play a huge role in this game. I think there's no denying that. I think. It, it, the the Rams feel very confident that they're going to be able to run the football on the Bengal defensive front, which every team has done in the playoffs. I mean, we saw the Raiders do it. They only did it 13 times with Josh Jacobs. They should have did it more. You know, we saw Tennessee run the football. We saw Kansas City run the ball. And then, of course, naturally with Kansas City, they got tired of running it. Mm-hmm. So I do think McVay knows I've got to run the football. I think McVay knows I'm going to control the pace of this game. As I just mentioned on Gil's show, I think the fascinating thing about this game is both these teams. Offensively, have won the time of possession battle. Specifically, the Rams, they've been over 35 minutes in these last three games of controlling the football with their offense. They've been 50% on third down. The Bengals at 47% on third down have done a wonderful job of controlling the game, playing 34 minutes of offense. And what happens when you play that much offense? You play less defense. What happens when you play less defense? You play better defense. And I think that's going to be the key. And I see McVay seeing, licking his chops saying, okay, Lou, you want to play some cover, 2 I'm going to run it right. And I'm not going to get bored running it. I'm Mm -hmm. going to run it. Now, I think he's got to decide which back he wants to run it with. Is it Michelle? Is it Akers? Is it Henderson? And we won't know that because we're not privy to the practices. But if Henderson looks like he can go, and he's the Henderson that we saw during the season, he's going to go with him. If it's not, he can go with Michelle, who can get him the yards he needs and control the clock. So the run game in this game, I think, is going to be the key to the Rams' best defense against this Bengal offense.
4: I think you make a very astute observation, too, because you and I have talked about this throughout the NFL season, and certainly it goes back to even when McVay got to the Super Bowl the first time around against the Patriots. It's, you know, you think about all the glitz and glamour and the Cooper Cups and the OBJs, but really when McVay's offense is the best, they do run the football. So for those people going to play those props with Sony Michelle and, you know, Cam Akers, remember that Henderson could actually play in this game and be a big factor in it. So that should factor in your decision. But for Winning and losing, you're right. It does come down to that running game. I, it was very interesting what I heard uh, from Frank Pollock. He's a Bengals' assistant coach. He said on Tuesday that the O-line isn't really concerned about that Rams' D-line, but basically it's something that the media and the fans, and maybe we, as as you know, a gambling network, we might get caught up in it to try to figure out how you, how you stop 99 and the rest of those guys. But but to the point about running the football, right? The the O-line we know is not good at pass protection. But could they be sneaky better at running it? And sometimes we've heard the Rams stars don't like to be run at. Von Miller, Aaron Donald. Is that the best way to try to neutralize that D-line of the Rams?
3: You know, I don't know what tape Frank's watching. You know, (laughs) I'm not sure that I agree with Frank's analysis of this. But, uh, you know, I I do think that, you know, this is a tough matchup. Somebody's got to block Uh, Aaron Donald and I think the Rams approach will be very similar to their approach against the 49ers look we're going to rush five guys we're going to set the edges on the outside and we're going to force single blocks and we're going to make you have to handle it and and I think ultimately that's going to be the challenge now as I said earlier this this Bengal team is 48.8 percent on third down and that's allowed them to control the ball basically 33 minutes in the game and that's really what's happened because in just these 27 minutes that their defense was on the field, they've allowed 371 yards in three games. Think about that. Mm. So if that shifts in any direction, especially if it shifts in the Rams' favor, I think, what we, I think this is going to tilt the game to the Rams significantly. And I know McVay sees it that way as well. Look, look the, the thing that has saved this Bengal team is their kicker and their ability to control the football with their offense. Those two things have made it. They haven't been explosive. I mean, Chase has got one touchdown in three games. You know, the way we talk about it, you think he's got 50 touchdowns. You know, they've had one touchdown rushing in three games. The way we talk about it, you think they have 18. You know, I mean, they have been very fortunate. And Burrow certainly deserves a ton of credit. He's run the ball nine times, and he's gotten out of a lot of trouble. But I don't know if that can happen again. And I know this. Sean McVay's not going to let this one slip away. I think he learned his lesson against Belichick, and I think he's going to see what they're doing. They're not complicated defensively. I think he's going to really take advantage, and he's not going to get bored with the run game. He won't get bo- – Andy Reid got bored. Mm-hmm. He's not going to.
4: Uh, again, you know, we've talked about it before. When you look at McVay and the way he was outcoached by Bill Belichick, I don't think there's any other way. I think McVay has actually made that. He's actually come out and said, "Yeah, I got outcoached badly my first time around with what we thought clearly he had the better team in that first run around. Feels like he has the better team again when you get the star power, Jalen Ramsey, best corner. You can make the argument in the league. Cooper Cup certainly the best uh, uh, receiver. He was the best receiver this year in the NFL. And Aaron Donald is the gold standard there at, at defensive tackle. You look at this, the sum of the parts for the Bengals, do they add up to that star power that the Rams have? And how much does it play in that Sean McVay is the guy that taught Zach Taylor and and the familiarity that those two have?
3: Well, I think this. Let's go back to Sean McVay being critical of his last game. What he's critical, what he should be critical of himself is lack of adjustments, right? He had a couple chances to make plays. Goff's late on a throw that McCourty comes over and tips the ball in the end zone when, when we know that uh, that Brandon uh, Cooks is wide open. You know, that's the touchdown that he misses, right? He's also got Cooks out wide open for a touchdown that he throws the ball a little bit early that Gilmore intercepts. So I think really where Sean made his mistakes in that last Super Bowl was the adjustments in the game. Not that he... I i, I can't imagine he didn't anticipate Belichick was going to be the way he played it, which is basically a set-the-edge front, both mm-hmm. sides. But I think the adjustments within that was his concern. I don't think he's going to have that problem. You know, people keep saying, well, you know, the Bengals adjusted great in the second half. Yeah, you know what they did? They rushed three, they dropped everybody else, they played man and they got away with it. And nobody called defensive holding. You know, nobody really called any penalties. And so they were able to play aggressive. If you're if you're any coach in the in the north, if you're Mike Tomlin and you're watching that tape, you're saying, well, we they won't let us get away with playing like this during the regular season, you know. Wow. We, it's great that they did that, but we will, we're not going to get away with this. We can't copy what they're doing. Now, if they let us do that, we'll do it, but I think we're going to get I mean, if we're going to we'll tackle Kelsey as much as anybody, but if they're not going to call it, they're going to call it against us in an October Sunday afternoon, I promise you. So I think a little bit of that, and I think McVay knows this, and I think McVay's going to skip back to he knows that if he executes this, I said this to start, of the four three teams he's played this year, I think he would say, he's not going to say this publicly because of where the Bengals are, but he would say this is the fourth team of the four. Wow.
4: You know, again, maybe we need a little bit more time to really go deeper on this, but I do wonder, when you know each other as well as these two know each other, Michael, is it I coach? to outsmart because we're playing chess and checkers here, or I do what I do, and if you can stop it, I tip my cap to you?
3: Well, I think that, the, you know, the, look, Raheem Morris knows this. He knows, he knows, as I know, sitting here in spite of what Frank Pollock says, he knows they can't block me. Right, So Raheem Morris knows that. He knows they can't block us. There's no way. There's no matchup that w- they win against us. Whether it's Donald on any one of those inside guys, whether it's Miller on either tackle, whether it's Leonard Floyd on either tackle, we win. We're going to win every time, okay? So what's their solution to that? Go back to the Raider game. Throw the ball quick. Get it out. That's right. You know, try to get in a rhythm passing game. You know, try to spread us out. Try to do that. And that's what he's been working on, his nickel fronts, to really to see if he can match up and handle that. That's all he's worked on. And so that, that is really where the mindset comes into, and making sure Chase doesn't beat him.
4: That's it. I mean, it does get down to being that simple on the X's and O's here. You've got one extremely gifted playmaker on the outside, Jamar Chase. But to your point, only one touchdown in the last couple of games here. He's not been a world beater uh, so far. He has been effective, but maybe not uh, as everybody has projected him to be. Michael, when we come back, some news and notes around the NFL and how it might affect your future plays in the NFL in 2022. Come on back. It is the Lombardi Line on these the these sports betting man.
3: Listening to the Lombardi Line on VCN, featuring former NFL executive Michael
4: Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. a problem? Call one 800 4700 Back alongside Michael Lombardi, I am Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line right here on VEASAN. And Michael, again, you know, we're, we're talking about the Rams' And the Bengals, for good reason, they've been the the center of the NFL landscape here for the last week and a half and will be up to Sunday. But you saw some other news and notes around the NFL that really could affect people in their futures play. And we know right after the Super Bowl, there's going to be a lot of lines that come out projecting who might win their divisions. You really have to get into the weeds a little bit of, of the, these coaches. And we see the changeover in the NFL. And you know all about this and how important it is to kind of figure out what you might project from these teams next year Sean Payton out in New Orleans I think it took some by surprise but not all but they did elevate Dennis Allen to be the head coach of course the former head coach of the Raiders and now he will be the top dog again in New Orleans when you look at philosophy and I know we can see what he did defensively but how does that change does it change when you look at Dennis Allen now taking over the Saints as we try to project them in 2022.
3: Well, I think you know this is going to require a little bit more than just taking over. I think this is going to require a uh, almost a Chip and Diana. a a Chip and Joanna Gaines fixer-upper because you're going to have to do a lot of work. I mean, you're going to have to get Chip in there with a sledgehammer and have him start knocking some walls down and rebuilding this because, you know, they've made their run, right? They've made their run into trying to get there, and if Bill Vinovich would have made a half-decent call, they might have been the team in the Super Bowl, not the Rams. But, you know, that's what are under the bridge, and I think this is going to be a fixer-upper. And I hope they give Dennis Allen enough time and, and enough patience to, you know, to allow him to fix it up. Because even though Mickey Loomis is saying that, you know, we're not going to take a step back, they're going to take a step back. I mean, they've got serious cap issues. You know, they don't have a quarterback on their roster currently. Taysom's Hill love affair was was really by the man who left. I don't know who else is in love with them besides Sean. I like him, but I like him as a, as a kind of an alternative player and not as the full-time player. Right. You know, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that in the NFL. By the way, not to get sidetracked here, but I do think we are going to enter an era in the next three or four years where we're going to see multiple quarterbacks playing at the same time. I think this, this idea, this—it's too. It was too effective when Taysom was doing it to not be utilized by other teams. So that's often on a, on a, where I could see Taysom having trade value, not at this contract where a certain team could say, you know, he'd be perfect. I put him in here and run some stuff with him. You know, this would be really kind of good. But well, anyway, I, I just think it's going to take a remodel here. It really is. And they don't have a quarterback. And when you're remodeling without a quarterback, I mean, the, the Patriots spent all that money last offseason, and it would have gone to waste. They would have had Cam at the quarterback, which wouldn't have been good enough. If they don't get a rookie quarterback who they now can build with, their, their outlook's completely different. Right, And I think that's where the Saints are right now.
4: You know, it is, by the way, so many areas I want to go there because, you know, you can go back to the Steelers. You know, they did this years ago, decades ago, with Tommy Maddox and Cordell Stewart, Slash, right? And that kind of became in vogue. So maybe you could see a little bit and harken back to that with the Saints and see how Dennis Allen tries to use Taysom Hill. But, you know, we hear this all the time, certainly on social media. Oh, these jobs are terrible. Who would want these jobs? Well, you're normally taking over because something went wrong. And you're right about the, 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 the cap is a mess in New Orleans. So let's see how much time they give Dennis. And whether or not he's being dealt a bad hand. Because I think a lot of people say the same things about Lovey Smith in Houston. They go, Who would want that job? Well, Lovey Smith wanted the job. He's got the job now there. What do you make of Lovey 2.0? I mean, I think people forget he did get the Bears to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman at quarterback. And I know it was a long time ago, but that actually did happen. What do you make of Lovey and his philosophy in Houston?
3: Well, I think they give him an experienced head coach. I think something that David Culley wasn't, and it wasn't David Culley's fault. When you hire a coach with no coordinator experience and no head coaching experience at any point over his long career – and you get mad because he's inexperienced, whose fault's that? Yours or his? Right. You know, you hired him. (laughs) You know, he didn't just steal the job. He didn't just come in the middle of the night and take over the desk, you know. And so it's your fault. But I think Lovey gives them some maturity. He gives them some stability. And he certainly gives them the the ability to stand in front of the team and, and coach the team. And we saw it with the way they played defense last year. Even though they weren't very good, they played defense and they played hard all year. They responded to his leadership, which I think is critical. You know, when we talk about this slash idea, and and I wrote about it in Gridiron Genius. And one of the when we talked about the future of football, the last one of the last chapters, I talked about how I truly believed in the next five years, and I wrote the book in 18, that we would see a team have almost two Deshaun Watsons, almost go back into the the era of the, 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 the T formation where you had two quarterbacks in the backfield and would rotate who was the halfback, who was the tailback. I think you're going to see a little bit more of that because I think it's going to be harder for the defenses, especially in light of the way Josh Allen has taken over the run game of the Bills, how he played in that game, how he became so hard to defend because he can run and pass. You know, it's a little different than Lamar, who's not as effective as a passer because you're playing it. But Lamar, remember now, Lamar, they don't run an offense that allows Lamar to run or pass. It's all RPOs, right. and I don't, that's not where I think this is, needs to go. I think this is more of a conversation about... How can we bring the old into the new and give the quarterback the ability to throw and run in a drop-back pass game?
4: That leads me perfectly down to Jacksonville because we know Doug Peterson is the new head coach down yeah. there, but we also know Mike McCoy is the QB's coach. So I don't know if you are clairvoyant and you could see into the future here for Jacksonville, but it sounds like you just described maybe the way they're going to use Trevor Lawrence, kind of like Kyler Murray with Mike McCoy when he was in Arizona, use Kyler Murray, right? So could you see that evolution in? Jacksonville next year with Peterson? Because when they went to the Super Bowl, the Carson Wentz year, and of course he got hurt, but they utilized his legs a lot. Do you see that happening next year in Jacksonville?
3: Well, remember, when they went to the Super Bowl, Frank Wright was call, was the coordinator, right? They ran the ball quite a bit. They had two running backs, David, on That's that right. team that averaged over five yards a carry. You know, five yards a carry. They traded for a Jai during the season, mm-hmm. and they had uh, Garrett Blunt. And and their run game was now they transitioned their run game from more conventional to the RPO, especially when Nick Foles ca- came in. Because really, at the end of the day, I don't think Wentz was a, is a great RPO quarterback. I think he's a better, you know, play-action quarterback. And so for me, I, I think that's the challenge. What is Doug Peterson? You know, he's a West Coast basis guy. You know, and when he first came to Philly, Literally. And one of the reasons I was so critical of him was when he first came to Philly, he basically just took the Chiefs' playbook and tried to run it in Philadelphia. Right, And it looked bad. He was copying every play that the Chiefs had run that he did. And then through time, as he improved, I was wrong, and he improved, he, he then changed the offense, and then what I thought he did a really good job as the Super Bowl year is he adapted that offense around Went and then went to Foles with the adaptation so to me I, I think that's going to be the challenge he's got to sit back in that chair in Jacksonville and say okay what do I really want to run with with Trevor Lawrence like who do we want to become and then build the team that way don't come in there and say we're going to run this sit back and say okay who what will make Trevor Lawrence look like a great player. I, I, and build the offense accordingly, and i think I think a little bit of that is eliminating some of the r p o stuff
4: wow i, I they're, they're going to be a very interesting team to see where their win total is. Uh, pre-flop next year because we know how low it was last year. I'll be curious to see if they look at that coaching regime and say it's been upgraded from Urban Meyer or if it stays where they kind of had that number. You know, I want to go back to a team, obviously, you know well, and a man you know well, and that's Joe Judge because I know a lot of people go, why would you want to bring Joe Judge back? And now he kind of gets elevated when he was there the first time, special teams coach. Now he's, the, he's an offensive assistant. What does Joe Judge and Bill Belichick, what does that brain trust look like, and does this fit again?
3: Well, I mean, look, here's what I think we have to kind of – and I said this on Nesson when I did the show on Monday up there. I do it again on Thursday at night. But I think what we have to stop is Bill Belichick, this will be what the offense that he wants to run. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be – Joe Judge's offense or if he hires Adam Gase his offense or you know Mick Lombardi's offense whomever right it's right. going to be what Bill wants to run and Bill is going to go in there and help the coach he's going to say look here's what I think we need to do here's where we had too much here's where we need more here's the way I want to call it back here's what I want to do here's the quarterback all the things that I think that that Doug Peterson needs to do in, in, in Jacksonville, he's going to do for Mac Jones. He knows Mac Jones now. He's watched Mac Jones now for a year. Who is Mac Jones and what can we do to enhance his play? I think that's what's going to be. And then Judge is going to fit in accordingly, not Judge is going to fit around it.
4: it it's going – yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes people, whether or not Joe Judge was in over his head in New York – it seemed like it worked in New England the first time around. We've seen this even with Josh McDaniels, where he came back to New England, clearly worked out 2.0 to get him another head coaching job. Let's see if that maturation process begins again for Joe Judge in 2.0 in New England. Michael, when we come back, again we always love to have the numbers of Steve Mackinan. We're going to get those as we look ahead to Super Sunday before you put down and make those wagers. Come on back, it's the Lombardi Line right here on Visa, the Sports Betting Network. Join our own Stormy Bonantoni on Friday at 6 p.m. for the Big Game Betting and Beers event right here at the South Point Casino in Las Vegas. Stormy will be joined by our guys in the desert, Chris Andrews, Jimmy Vaccaro, and Vinnie Mayulo for a fun and informative look at betting this year's Big Game and Stories from behind the book about all the action these legends have seen over the years. The event is free for anyone over 21, so stop by the South Point on Friday at 6 p.m. for specials on Budweiser, purchase signed copies of Chris Andrews' book, and learn from these book making experts and i say legends indeed dave ross back alongside michael lombardi this is the lombardi line right here on vston it is wednesday we always love having our point spread weekly editor steve Mackinnon to join us now with his fascinating numbers and again we were talking about boy you got to get uh point spread weekly certainly if you haven't gotten it by now you need to because it's great information as we lead up to the super bowl and steve let's just start off with your stats that you have this week And it kind of gets to what we talked about last week, certainly offensively, that these teams on paper look very, very similar. You have effective offensive points in the projections for this game, and they're almost identical. Cincinnati, 26.36. The Rams, 26.46. But the defense is where it seems you can see the variance there with the Rams having a distinct advantage.
6: Uh, Yeah, you you pretty much summed it up there, Dave. Uh, As I... I did this last year. I, I, I f- used a forecasting model to project what I call my effective stats and uh, projections for both the teams and the individuals. And like you said, the offenses, the numbers are pretty similar. Now, one of the things I look for in the Super Bowl, and I'm going to combine this week's article with last week's article, mm-hmm. uh, you look for that team that has the better chance to hit the 30 point mark. It's a key number in the Super Bowl historically. Now, if you look at my effective in that article you see the effective points over the last 10 games. in that span, LA has topped that mark four times 30 points or more Cincinnati just twice. So I still have to maybe side slightly with an offensive edge to the Rams and then when you combine that with what is a somewhat of a sizable defensive edge to the Rams, I, I I'm let me say at this point I'm sort of leaning Rams here.
3: Yeah, me too, Steve. And, and I love your overall time of possession forecast scrimmage plays. Now, that is based on the whole season, correct?
6: Well, I actually took the last 10 games just so we'd have uh, – I, I don't. I, I like to kind of maybe throw away some of those numbers earlier. Rams are a little different earlier. They are working Stafford into the lineup. They've made a lot of changes. Right. So I think a recency method kind of, kind of brings about more accuracy.
3: You know gentlemen. Yeah, no doubt and this is one this is one of my key points in this game, which to me i i 'd love you to pick your brain on this is that the 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 Rams have controlled the football thirty five minutes and eleven seconds, and their defense has only been on the field for twenty four fifty And the Bengals have been, I think, 32 and their defense is on the field for 28. But to me, this is the essence of the game. And speak to that. I know you've done it over 10 games, but if you just look at the postseason, this Ram defense has been dominant because they play less plays because of the fact they've been 18 percent allowing their opponent to convert third downs.
6: I agree with you wholeheartedly, Michael. And this is one of the reasons that I am going to be on the side of the Rams here. Now, if you look at. The way the Rams have been playing against the types of opponents, and I've and I forecasted these things in my article this week, as to how they might strategize their offense, how Cincinnati might strategize its offense. Uh, you'll see that I I have the Rams leaning a little bit more towards the run, while actually outgaining Cincinnati overall. So that if you put that recipe together, that means Cincinnati's defense is probably going to be on the field a little longer. Cincinnati's going to have to rely more on passing the ball. Uh, They're going to have to hit big plays if they're going to want to be in this game. But if you look at my numbers, I have the Rams actually gaining more yards per pass attempt. So if you recall last week, we talked about the four key elements to success in the Super Bowl. Running the football for more yardage, hitting the big plays to the air, more yards per pass attempt, limiting the turnovers and then the time of possession. As we walk through this, Michael, you can see I'm kind of leaning to the Rams on at least three or three, maybe four of those four categories.
4: It's amazing how running the football
3: and defense still matters, Michael. (laughs) No doubt. And I mean, look, the fact that they've only allowed six third downs to get converted out of 32 attempts. I mean, this is this is the, one of the untold stories of the of the postseason, and I mean, it isn't like the Cardinals aren't good on offense. We know the Bucks are good on offense, and the 49ers, in spite of their limitations at quarterback, were typically good on third down. So, I, I just think, to me, the more you peel back what the Rams have done defensively, as they as all the conversation has been on their offense. I think that's going to be the difference in the game.
4: Talking with Steve Mackinan, of course, our editor here at Point Spread Weekly. And, Steve, you know, I'm looking at these props. And, again, I'm kind of old school, uh, sides and totals guy. But the prop market has exploded in the NFL. And I think we're going to see the, the most volume come in this year that we've ever seen before on props. And, of course, you're going to bet the quarterbacks, right? And when I look at your numbers here and you're projecting the completions and passing yards, and I just want to start off with quarterbacks first. And I'm seeing across the board, you're seeing Joe Burrow at about 276, 276. 77 at most shops. You've got them projected here for 291. Uh, so that's if you like that over and I, I do like the Burrow over here to your point, if, if they can't run the ball as effectively, they're going to have to do it from the air and they could be game script behind and have to do it late. Is that how you get to those numbers there? And you have them for completions at 25.2, uh, clearly five more there than you, you project for Matthew Stafford.
6: Yeah. Again, I think this goes to the recipe. I, I think Cincinnati is going to struggle to run the ball. I, I, you have to think against this this front of uh, the Rams. Now, that's going to put almost the entire onus on the, of the offense on Joe Burrow. I'm not saying the Rams are going to completely shut down the Bengals because I think Burrow is going to get his numbers. That doesn't exactly equate to winning games, however, especially in the Super Bowl. Uh, you can go through the, the log of Super Bowl games. The team that passes for more yards typically loses
4: yeah, I, I, I totally see that script there. And again, uh, when you look at the rushing yards, and this is an interesting conversation I had last night here in Vston, Joe Burrow, you project him for 7.2. Most of the props I'm seeing out there at around 11. So you think he's going to have to get the ball out of his hands, the, the defensive line with the Rams. We know they have a distinct advantage over the O-line, no matter what the, the the Bengals have been saying this week. Do you think that's why it gets limited and he doesn't get over that double-digit threshold?
6: Well, I tell you what, uh, what could limit this is the fact that the Rams are probably going to be able to rush him with four guys and be successful at it. That leaves uh, a second layer of defense, and, and Burrow's not going to want to run against that. You typically get running opportunities when you can escape from a blitz, that type of thing, where you get maybe you're going to top that 11.5 number.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I kind of agree. I think, I think the one thing the, the Bengals have to do in this game, which is I'm all with you on Burrow and his overpassing yardage, is, is they're going to replace, because of their offensive line, they're going to replace some of their runs, especially on first down to try to get ahead of the down and distance with some spread throws, much like they did against the Raiders. Try to get in second and four, second and six, then mix it up a little bit, but guarantee themselves easy yards on first down. Maybe take a shot. But you're right, Steve. I think if the Rams play their cover too, roll the coverage to Chase and say, okay, we're going to rush four and see what you can do. It's a long game for, Stafford, for, for Burrow, and he's going to have to have a lot of completions and he's going to have to make some play. He's going to have to be the driving force of the offense.
4: Gentlemen, I want to jump to the wide receivers here because, you know, I keep mentioning Cooper Cup. You saw his prop uh, in the first round of the playoffs, it was 100. He got over that. Then the next week, it was 102, got over that. And it's still right around that threshold of 102 again. And Steve, you project him in this game. For 117.7, just to bust right through that that glass window again. I mean, is the ceiling, it's never too high for this guy. Because no matter what the prop scenario is, he just seems to go
6: over. Yeah, you know, he's done, he, he's put up some massive numbers against better cornerbacks than the Bengals are going to put up. So I, I don't think the Bengals can completely afford to sell out their defense uh, on Cup. Uh, they're going to get beat in other ways. So I think they're going to have to be pretty honest about it, and Cup's going to beat
3: it. Hey, Steve, uh, you know McPherson's been unbelievable, right? He's made twelve kicks. He's averaged, you know, three games. He's made twelve kicks. He's attempted twelve kicks. That's four, you know, that that that's uh, four a game. And his over prop is just one and a half. Did you run any numbers on that? I mean, I don't know if you have to run numbers. You just take the over, right? <laughs> uh,
6: yeah, I didn't run any numbers on this, but yeah, I'm I'm thinking. Maybe one Bengals touchdown, three field goals, possibly four, uh, if they're going to get up to that, to, to any type of level where they're going to compete in this game. So uh, it's, uh, I would definitely lean the way he's playing, they'll probably rely on him in situations where. In other games, they may have uh, gone for it
4: on a fourth down. Well, that's music to my ears, gentlemen, because I took the McPherson over 7.5 points props. So thank goodness that you and Michael are on my side on that one. I feel a lot more confident about that. Uh, Steve, got to let you go. But, again, follow him on Twitter, at Steve Mackin. does a great job at Point Spread Weekly. Uh, Steve, fascinating numbers as always, and I'm sure the people out there, if they're reading it, they're going to be benefiting from it this Sunday. Thanks, as
6: always. Uh, Yeah, thank you, guys. Enjoy the game. Thanks,
4: Steve. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Steve. I just can't believe the next time we talk to Steve, football season officially will be over, which brings a tear to my eye, Michael. Not ready for football season to end (laughs) just yet. When we come back, I wonder if Michael Lombardi believes that the Rams actually have a home field advantage despite being the road team in this Super Bowl. Come on back. It's the Lombardi Line right here on Visa, the Sports Betting network. For a huge score during the big game with BetMGM, simply download the BetMGM app and place a $10 money line wager on Pro Football's final game. If either team scores a touchdown, you're going to win 200 bucks in free bets regardless of your wager's outcome. Just use the bonus code SB200 when you make your very first wager. You're also going to uh, earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for room nights and dining at MGM Resorts nationwide. Only at BetMGM. Eligibility restrictions do apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older to wager. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards, issues, is knowledgeable non Free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi or Nevada. Dave Ross alongside Michael Lombardi. This is the Lombardi line right here on VEASAN. And, of course, Michael, we had never seen before in the history of pro football the home team being the host city and winning the Super Bowl until last year when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did it. And they just absolutely walloped the Kansas City Chiefs. Now we have a chance to go back-to-back here with the Rams at SoFi this year. And before we really break down the numbers of how the Rams did at home, it, it didn't seem like that would be such a huge advantage. They didn't have fans there really last year. Was that a difference in the game last year for the Buccaneers, being at home, the, the you know being comfortable, sleeping in your own bed, all those sort of things? Or is that misnomer kind of overplayed?
3: You know, I I think the combination of COVID, Andy Reid's son, Brett, having the accident and unfortunately uh, having the the horrible uh, effects of that young girl uh, affected their team. I think there's no doubt about that. I think it was all through their team and you could feel it. At least I could feel it. And, And no fans. I mean, look, these teams, we talk about home field advantage. In these games like they matter and we spent most of the the 17 18 weeks during the regular season talking about teams are really good at being able to handle crowd noise and we know this that anytime you're really led by your offense you can play well on the road because when you get first downs you quiet the crowd when you can't get first downs, the crowd becomes more enthusiastic. So I, I don't think this is going to be a game about home field. I think this is going to be a game about comfort. You know, the Rams can sleep in their own beds until really they, they're going to stay at probably the same team hotel they stayed at all during the season. They're going to do pretty much what they typically do. So they have a sense of comfort. And for the Bengals, at least now they get out of out of cold Cincinnati where they don't have an indoor facility. They had to go over the Cincinnati Bearcats facility and use that, and now they can get to to handle the bright sunshine and enjoy some warm weather outside of Cincinnati as they kind of get through their preparation. So, I'm not as big on what I think the home field. I don't think it's going to affect the game. I think the fact that Bengals' offensive line can't block them isn't going to be <laughs> predicated by the snap count.
4: You know, you look at what the Rams have done at so far, so far this year and overall, hey, seven wins out of ten and just win, baby. That's what they're thinking. Of course, But covering has been a different story. Five and five as the home favorite, six and three. And in the playoffs, uh, ATS1 One and one in those spots did not cover against the Niners in that title game, winning by three. Uh, They don't care about those numbers. We understand that. But from a betting perspective here, do you read into those numbers at all? Because as we discussed with Steve Mackinac last week, traditionally, when you have favorites of under seven, the number doesn't really play into it that often. It's either you know, the favorite covers relatively easily, or the underdog wins outright. Where do you you make that number being at four playing this game at SoFi Stadium?
3: Well, I think this, I think it's not so much about the home field, it's about playing fast, right? And I think that when you look at what the Rams have done in this playoff run, they have outscored their opponents 38-13 to in the first half. And they have been dominant in the first half. And so, you know, I don't know what that first half number is, Matt Santos, but that's certainly something to three. think about. And I think this four numbers, it's it's three. Mm-hmm. I, would, I, I like that play. I would come back, uh, and I think this number coming back from four and a half to four, I just think to me that, that there's too much within the Rams offense that creates a problem for the Bengal defense. They're not going to take advantage of – Andy Reid not getting bored and not wanting to run the ball. They're not going to be able to take advantage of Ryan Tannehill not being able to complete a darn swing pass to a back who's wide open, yeah. you know. And so I think there's there's some liability and pliability within their team. And I, I it, we keep saying, well, Burrow's great. Hey, Burrow's great. There's no doubt. Burrow's great. They're, I'm not and I'm not arguing that Burrow's great, but Stafford's averaged nine yards per attempt. Burrow's averaging seven seven. You know, Burrow's been sacked 12 times in this game. In, in the three games, he's taken a beating, and they're giving up almost seven yards per attempt. Their defense. I mean, they've they've scored. The Bengals have scored five touchdowns. They've allowed six. Once again, it leads all roads lead back to who? McPherson. Right. That's the key. And 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 I wonder. And this will be an interesting conversation, David. I wonder how aggressive Zach Taylor will be. When, say, he has a 4th and 3 at the Rams 23, kick it does up. he settle for the 4-yard field? Does he yes, kick it? he kicks Or does he go for it on 4th down? Michael, I'm right now, Will Hill's going to be screaming for him to go Oh, I know. Will Hill's going to be screaming for him to go for it. I mean, he's going to be screaming for it. He oh, hates yes, kicks. Yes. But the, the kicks are why they're here. <laughs> yes! Yes, Mike. Will Hill's going to be having a heart attack. He's going to be going crazy. Oh. I'm going to get the t- – uh, the text will be coming through. I, would, I wouldn't kick it here. He's got automatic points. Yes. Like, okay, let's take it another step. First and – uh, th- uh, let's say we have the ball at the Ram eight-yard line. Fourth and three. You kicking or you going? My man up in Connecticut, he's going. It, he's You kicking. can't win this game with four three points. Right. What, what will Zach Taylor do? I, I think he's going to kick it because, to your point, against
4: Tennessee, you remember that first quarter. They had a couple spots they could have gone for. They didn't. They settled for three. They led 6-0. Everybody
3: complained. Everybody complained. complained. Everybody complained. complained. complained.
4: That's why I told Scott Seidenberg last night on the look ahead right here in VEASAN. I said at 150-1, Evan McPherson, to me, is a live candidate to be MVP. To your game script that you just talked about, if the Bengals, he are
3: is play, a live candidate.
4: Yeah, he, he really is at 150 to one. Because to your point, Michael, Zach Taylor has shown you who he is throughout this postseason. He's taken the points. He did it against the Raiders in the first round. Clearly did against Tennessee and settled for a long game winner, which the kid nailed, and then did it even against Kansas City last week. He feels like when that kid trots out there, it's money in the bank. I want to get the shirts, take the points, and I know Vison doesn't want to hear that because everybody wants to go for it these days. you got to take the points when they're available because you just don't know how it's going to be played out in that fourth quarter. Early in the game, Michael, I'm right there with you. I don't know what the scenario, unless it's fourth and inches. I think Zach Taylor, if it's fourth and two or more, I think you'll see a lot of field goals coming, and that's why I love McPherson's prop at seven and a half that you and, and uh, Steve McEnany just broke down there. I do think that you're right. Whether or not social media agrees or not, that's the way Zach Taylor is going to play this game.
3: Well, I think this. Look, he's, he's only gone for it one time in the playoffs on fourth down. One time. Okay? So in three games, he's only gone for it one time. And he, and he converted that. He was one for one. But let's go back to a game. Let's go back to the to Rams game against the Bucks When Bruce Arians went for that three points, when it seemed like it didn't even matter at all, right? Mm-hmm. Those three points ended up getting him to tie the game. But nobody wanted to go for it at that point. Twitter was completely, this is the dumbest thing of all time. It's a little bit like when Belichick went for it from fourth and nine at his own, at the the Colts 19, you know, and why would you go for that? Well, if Hightower tackles the guy in the hole, Taylor, they're going to get the ball back and they might win the game. Right, and I think Taylor, through his experience in the Kansas City game, that he was fortunate, even though he kept going for it. Now, part of the reason he was going for it is he's scared was going to give up points, leave too much time on the clock. Remember that Buffalo. So I think you know I think that's why he did it. But in this game, my question is, what is the aggressiveness of him in it? Now I could see this. David, I could see this. I could see him at midfield in one of those situations where he doesn't want to give the ball back to the Rams. And that's fair. Because he knows that the Rams control it. I get that. I, I could understand that. But I don't think he's going to turn down points. And 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 I'm going to have a zillion texts from the great Will Hill telling me it's the dumbest call <laughs> of all time.
4: You know, you, you and I see eye to eye in that. I, I, there's a time and a place. If it's at the 50 and it's fourth and short, I'm with it. Go for it. Because you're trying to keep possession to ultimately get into points range. But once you get into that range where you have points, if the game, is still close, you don't know how it's going to play out in the fourth quarter, I'm with you. Kick it. And by the way, Michael, the misnomer here is, you know, Zach Taylor, young coach, Sean McVay, boy, genius. These guys are more conservative than I'm sure social media would like and Twitter football certainly hates. These guys are not roll the dice, but these are not Brandon Staley's. These are kind of anti-Brandon Staley's and they've gotten to the Super Bowl.
3: I mean, that's right. I mean, that's kind of bad, But no, we're not allowed to talk about We're not allowed to talk about it because it's not in vogue, you know, and because Staley, according to some people, had never made a bad fourth down call all year. I think they said one. It's a joke, but they said one. I mean, I could find a lot of them. I mean, I've had talked to more people in the league that are just amazed he still has a job. I mean, they, they feel like if he goes for that, I mean, look, look. It, there's some situations in the old days where if you made these kind of mistakes, you were gone. I mean, Sean McDermott, those 13 seconds, they're going to live with him forever. They're going to live with him forever. Nobody can figure out how he lost that one.
4: No doubt about it. Again, it's got to be about winning. It's got to be the ultimate decider. And these two teams, although conservative head coaches in the red zone, they're both in the Super Bowl, and it can't not be just by happenstance. When we come back, we're going to take a look at some prop scenarios from the two quarterbacks when you come back right here in the Lombardi line on these these Sports Bettinger. Yeah.